1: See, see a multiverse this is gerald glassford coming right back at you here from the pop culture cosmos game source inside sports fantasy football and the lakers fast break we truly appreciate everyone out there catching all of our great shows and if you can please give us that magical five star review wherever you get your podcasts plus if you can like share subscribe Subscribe today to get the latest notifications on when we go live on the air with the latest PC multiverse, pop culture cosmos, inside sports, fantasy football, where we had a great discussion. You could catch that right now on our YouTube channel wherever we you get your podcast, and also as well, the state of pro wrestling, which comes every month. John Orlando from the PVD cast and I go over the latest and greatest news in the world of pro wrestling. Later this month, we will be discussing the best of. Pro Wrestling. In fact, all of the gang is going to be discussing their best and worst of pro wrestling, pop culture, movies, television, video games, and more on the back half of this month. We're getting closer to it. So go ahead and check it out today on the Pop Culture Cosmos, but you won't know about it unless you get those great notifications indeed. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. She is... I guess... What can I say this to you? Because I've used the mistress in crime, the mistress in death. Yes, yes. I guess uh, the commander in chief of the <laughs> household. It is yeah. a indeed. It is Melinda Parkhouse Ross. Melinda, great to have you here. Mastermind behind Vampires, Vitae, Wizards and Wine, Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Looking forward to a great conversation I had on the back end of the show will be devoted to my conversation with TJ Johnson on the day before, which we'll touch on here as well. That disaster has really blown up the entire video game space, but also looking forward to hearing what you have to say about a Blue on Samurai show. Mm, So good. Well, tell us your thoughts on that. We'll start with that because we're going to start there. Yeah, let's start with that. Blue-eyed Samurai has been renewed for another season, so it's obviously got you very excited. What sticks out to you when you talk about the Blue-eyed Samurai? Wow, I
2: mean, that's a that's a loaded question. Um, the The show tells the story of um, a girl who has grown up as a boy um, because she is uh, half Japanese and half uh european and uh that has ostracized her and kind of put a, a target on her back as well as her mother's and uh so she kind of grows up as as a boy because they're looking for a girl mm-hmm. right um and she ends up uh you know growing up and and living with and and learning from a blind sword maker and he teaches her uh what it means to have a sword and what like w- anyway it's just It's so good. And it's a, it is a story of revenge. It truly is. It is the, the, the action sequences are some of the best animated action sequences I have seen in a minute. And Robbie and I watch a lot of animation, a lot of anime specific and Mm -hmm. the the two of us were, were going through this show and it just, it keeps getting better and better and better with every single episode. And then it, it you think it's going to plateau with this moment where it kind of takes a break. From all of the heavy stuff going on, and it starts to tell a little bit of a different story. But as we have learned with shows like Game of Thrones, um, gosh, what other shows are notorious for that? As soon as their characters in the show, uh The Walking Dead, did it, as soon as the characters get a little bit of happiness, a little taste of joy, uh, the writers like to kind of rip that out from underneath them and then go back into the gruesome, terrible stuff. That is kind of what happens in the show, but the way that they tell this story is beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And then you add on top of that, this incredible animation style that they have. And, uh, they go into, um, I've watched a lot of like the making ofs and behind the scenes and and all of that kind of stuff. And they had, um, performers come in to go through some of the martial arts and, uh, like using the swords and, and things like that. And they would, physically play out some of these sequences they would motion capture it and then they would animate it based on the the motion capture and yeah it's it's so good it absolutely hands down 100 percent deserves your time the fact that we have a season two coming and i am over the moon with it i i want to say you were the first person that i sent a message to about that but it might have been robbie
1: and I might, would hope it's Robbie with all due respect. That's your husband. Gosh, darn it.
2: I know. But it, like, it also might've been you because you know, we, I mean, this is what we talk well, about. I'm
1: honored nonetheless. So.
2: so yeah. When I found out they were doing a season two, it was, you know, that moment where you're like your favorite thing and you're getting more of it. <laughs> When they announced it, I was like, "Yeah, like here we go, strap in, kids, because this show is so good." I think it's got the perfect score on Rotten Tomato. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it's a it's a, it's got a hundred percent.
1: Well, again, I I don't take a whole lot of stock in Rotten Tomatoes because if everybody gives it a six, then it's a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes.
2: Right. I would
1: well I would get on Metacritic, and I know Metacritic has had some pretty good. Mm -hmm. scores for it and uh, i think that that to me is a bigger weight to it because it's an 88 on metacritic which is an outstanding score for television series or movie because they don't trend usually as high as video games to have a tendency to do because so many more eyes usually get a chance to go ahead and critique movies and television shows so that's a great sign blue eye samurai which premiered early november Mm-hmm. If you get a chance, please check it out. It is available right now on Netflix. Absolutely, just fantastic visuals, like you said. I'm looking at the uh, actual show right now as far as the trailer that came out. Just absolutely stunning animation. Hopefully yeah. we'll get and I guess achieve some type of recognition, you know for the for the Grammys, but I'm not sure if it will. we'll see. But again, the writing and the pedigree, from Logan and Blade Runner 2049, two of the best fantasy or sci-fi movies to come out in the past 15 years. Definitely something you need to go ahead and check out. So absolutely, definitely looking really, really good. I'm going to go ahead and check it out. I'm going to binge watch it over the weekend because Netflix, you can do that. Yeah, right. Because you've recommended on more than one occasion to me in the DM. So I'm glad mm-hmm. to hear that they've got a second season planned for this. You never know with Netflix exactly what their cut line is because, you know, it just seems like shows that are kind of successful, they they cut their bait early on. For instance, Cobra Kai, yeah. they still could have con- continued that throughout the course of, uh, you know, maybe two, three, four more seasons. I get that they're making now a Karate Kid movie where they're combining all the entities as, as far as even the Karate Kid movies from the 80s, the Karate Kid movies from the 90s. You know they're co- combining all those elements as far as it's concerned, and even the Karate Kid from the later years uh, with Jackie Chan. They're combining all those elements into one movie. I get that, but I still think they could have laid out Cobra Kai even for an extended period of time more. But they don't. They 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 have a real weird, quirky way of how they go ahead and extend things, and animation is one of them. Arcane, which was absolutely given yeah. given universal praise, similar to what Blue Eye Samurai has gotten, Mm -hmm. that has been extended for season two. So it's nice to see their animation, which has had some really good standouts. It's just the problem is they don't promote their animation as well as some of their higher profile movies and television. I think that's almost to a fault, if I could say that.
2: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I I think that they do, um, well, my algorithm on, on Netflix is, for the most part, anime <laughs> i don't think that we watch a, a whole lot of you know like actual people on the television that's really funny um but uh, when when i log in you know it's you still get that top line of here's what's trending and like almost nothing that we watch is trending and every once in a while there'll something will land on there and we'll be like well that looks interesting let's give it a shot but Um, you know, even things like, uh, the first season of Ragnarok, uh, with the, the stadium fighting and it's the gods versus humans from any point in history. Um, that was a really rad anime as well. And I just don't think that that got the attention that it deserved specifically on, um, Netflix. And by that, I mean the support of promoting the show. Um, but blue eyed Samurai, it deserves a hundred percent for you to, to go and check it out. And it's, I'm not even going to say you need to give it three episodes because I don't think you do. I think if you are not into the show by the end of the first episode, then I, I don't know that it, it's it's the show for you, but it's phenomenal. I loved it. I loved every second of it. And I can't wait for the merch to start coming out and get myself a pair of Mitsu's glasses. And yeah, it's just, it's fantastic. I can't say enough good stuff about it. I can't tell you that it's fantastic one more time, Gerald.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, though, Blue-Eyed Samurai is really something I think a lot of people need to get into. If you can, please go ahead and check it out today on Netflix. It is adult rated, so it is definitely for mature is, audiences. Yes. Yeah, so definitely got to go ahead and put in that. And that's something I, I like about what Netflix Animation does. They're willing to go to places with animation that not everyone or everywhere is seemingly mm-hmm. wanting to go to. And mm-hmm it's created aesthetically and critically a lot better animated series and movies Mm -hmm. for them of recent times. In fact, they've had some really standout uh, uh, animation projects that have come out in the past couple of years that I think really people need to check on out.
2: Yeah, for sure. And you know, if, if you do fire up blue eyed samurai and it's not your cup of tea, Um, And I don't want to say if you're looking for something a little darker, because Blue-Eyed Samurai is quite dark. But uh, if you haven't watched the Castlevania series, then, you know, give that one a shot. It's another one that's beautifully animated. And uh, if you've watched, I think Blood of Zeus came from the same animation studio. Anyway, very good. Just uh, give it some time. It's fantastic.
1: What are your thoughts out there on Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix? It has absolutely garnered quite a bit of critical praise and another season from Netflix. Please let us know your thoughts. This absolutely fantastic looking show. I'm looking at it again now. Just the animation on it is, it's incredible. It's it's really, 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 really really good. Yes, absolutely gorgeous to watch. It is anime. It's up there. It's one of the best looking things I've seen all year on animation. Please let us know your thoughts. If you are interested or have checked out Blue Eye Samurai, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. For the latest news and information, analysis, and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Before we head out, my friend, I wanted to go ahead and tell you some bad news. Uh E3, something I have championed Mm. and long championed for some time now. I think it's the most high profile thing that you can do for the gaming industry. Even the Game Awards. The Game Awards got millions of viewers. And I'm not going to try and discredit Jeff Keighley anymore. I had a thing against Jeff Keighley for a long time. I decided, you know what? he's trying to do yeah he promotes himself that's fine but you know what he has been successful at it you got to give him props for it he's built up his summer games fest and also as well the game awards to something where people it's a must watch for the people in the gaming industry but the e3 as a event over a course of week's time at its peak melinda was something that All the different console makers, all the different console publishers, PC publishers, indie stalwarts, indie artists. But the most important thing was news organizations and media organizations from around the world, including non-traditional gaming media outlets, were covering E3. They don't cover the Game Awards. They covered E3. And earlier this week, the individuals that were responsible for bringing E3 to life and also the individuals that bought the rights to E3, I believe the, the, the people that own PAX, I think, were, were trying – we had gotten invested and gotten involved with E3. They announced that E3 as it is, it was no longer going to be. Uh, it was you know announced before earlier in the year that it was going to be taken a year or two off. Now it's just E3 is dead entirely in the water. What are your thoughts on E3 now no longer being an entity and the fact that during the middle of the year, even though you have all these different digital showcases, which conveniently all still convene on your television or on your gaming monitors during the course of early June, fancy how they don't go ahead and have this little shindig anymore like E3.
2: Yeah, I I mean,
1: oh gosh. Where
2: where does one even begin to to try to pull this apart so it kind of adds up and, and makes sense? I think that perhaps with, and maybe I'm way out in left field for this, but I think that maybe when the Blizzard stuff started to happen uh, with Xbox and they were kind of talking about boxing uh, PlayStation out of games and, and stuff like that, I mean that that's got to develop bad blood. I mean, you go to those things to to showcase the best of the best, right? So you have to have those big guys there, and we know that they were not didn't seem to be interested in in going to the event anymore. So that alone the, is the
1: expenditures to, have gotten you know outrageous. So I, I yeah can't fault them for that.
2: Yeah, and I think that uh you know it might be something that gets resurrected maybe with Gerald Glassford and Belinda Barkhouse Ross at the at the helm of it. Um, <laughs> cause that would be cool. Um, but you know, maybe it's just, yeah, it, it would be hard to pull something like that together without, you know, the big guys holding those giant stalls that they have with all of their demos and their next gen consoles, if they have them ready or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's it's tough and it's too bad because I mean, it was a heck of an event. And like you said, it got a lot of coverage and a lot of exposure for an awful lot of stuff. And uh, they're kind of losing that, but, you know, it just means that there's now room for something else to kind of sweep in and do the same sort of thing. Perhaps there's one that Xbox will go to, perhaps there's another one that PlayStation will go to that's a little bit closer to, you know, headquarters or or whatever the case is. Um, And uh, maybe that's how we'll kind of get around uh, the loss of E3.
1: I don't think there's any which way you're going to be able to get that kind of media attention back and I used to argue with people when E3 started to go over the way of uh as far as first off allowing the regular public in there yeah and I know that turned off a lot of people uh and then basically you know during the advent of covid you know canceled it all together I used to go back and forth about it with 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 gamers in regards to its relevance and I, and, and cause they don't get it. They do not understand that what they have now is, is fine for them. What they have now is fine for them, but what they had with E3 was they didn't understand the scope of what E3 was as far as an entity. E3 captured the attention of entities, not within the gaming space. E3 Would capture the space of moms, dads, uncles, grandpas, grandmas, because they would be notified on the local news, or or did they see it in back in the newspaper, or they'd see it on the online, or something would catch their eye, or CNN, or Fox, or MSNBC, whatever. They would all capture what is latest and greatest in at at three e three, so that you can get an idea as a consumer what you're buying, Sally. Timmy, Joe, whoever in your life come later this year, Robbie, mm-hmm. you know, things of that nature. So as mm-hmm. far as that's concerned, what he would be buying you, the gamer right. coming up later in the year. So that's how important E3 was because it was strategically placed by, you know, right in and around early June so that you would get an idea what was coming up mainly for the rest of this year. So The value of E3 is just so important. And these digital showcases, they're much more cost-effective. I will never tell any company that, obviously, that that, that's not under consideration. I get it. I understand that. But the reach that you have does not reach as far as E3 did in its heyday. And that's something I think that's going to be missing until somebody tries to bring it back but it probably will never get back to the point until for E3 like it was before when I was attending it for several years, like Josh had attended for, for a couple of years as well. That's something we felt privileged to go to, and we felt yeah. it was an event, and we felt it was something that – it's just E3 was an event like unlike anything that the gaming industry could ever do. I mean, Gamescom gets 100,000-plus people, fans, regular audiences – but that's, that's like an expo. That's, that's, that's like a, I know that's almost like a swap meet of, yeah. of, of gaming stuff that, that everyone can go out to reach. This was something where it's just stuff that was not yet introduced, tech demos, things of that nature, vertical slices, stuff behind the scenes that you were seeing that the media was only getting exclusives to that were ahead of its time or looks at games that were specifically going to be targeted for you the consumer out later this year and i know i'm talking a little bit of a, on a high horse about as far as from a media perspective but when i went there i saw firsthand exactly what the future of the industry looks like i when i go to a gamescom when i or if i were to go to a gamescom if i would go to a pax if i would go to all these other ones I don't think I would get that same sense of exactly what I see for the future like I do at CES, like you did at CES exactly when we went and you saw the future of what was coming in that particular industry.
2: Yeah, too. And I, I think that one thing, too, that people tend to forget as well, because we live in this sphere of you know very specific information and you know if you're talking about you know a a, a relative be it a wife husband uh, parents whatever um when they see a, a hobby of yours being presented on a CNN or uh CTV back in Canada or global or whatever um it that gives your hobby to people who are seeing it on a credible source um, it gives your hobby a little bit more legitimacy, so perhaps it's a little less naggy for a little while and it'd be like, "Well, did you see that thing that I saw in the news the other day? Is that what you're talking about there?" It's it just it it helps to bridge a gap between uh you know Joe Q public and Joe Q gamer.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's something again that I felt was truly important. But again, the the cost the logistics of bringing your entire staff. Yeah flying them to LA, uh, building these huge monstrosities like Activision used to have. I remember going it used to be in the same place each and every year in the on the floor of the LA Convention Center it used to be in the right corner, it used to be there, used to do blast to 10, you know, as far as the volume, blah, 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 voom, blah you know, just while you walk by. Mm-hmm. But also as well, uh, you know, it strange had the Sony booth and you could feel the tension when you had the sony booth near the microsoft booth you had the tension (laughs) between those two but you could see what they were all both you know trying to one-up each other nintendo be off on the side or the middle and you know that would probably end up getting the biggest lines because everybody just wanted to get a you know play whatever the latest mario or zelda was at and then of course all the other different software makers it was truly something special. And again, I know I sound like the guy, like you know, Clint Eastwood, El Torino, get out on the front front lawn and start <laughs> saying it, it needs to be the way it used to be. But again, if you can't find something that will connect with a non-gaming audience like E3 does, it's kind of disappointing. And it's just the fact that the gaming industry will not be able to grow to its fullest extent because of it.
2: Well, it will. It's just going to do it without, um, you know, without showing a fan base uh the the innovation and things that are coming down the line that could be 5 10 15 years down the line so i think that's the part of it uh that you know is is really going to be missed by people who are big fans of e3
1: what are your thoughts up there on the death of e3 for now somebody will probably want to go ahead and try and cash in and try and you know bring it back nostalgic because you know nothing ever stays dead in entertainment but let us know your Thoughts on E3 if you're really sad about dying, because I know Josh and I were really kind of brokenhearted as as individuals who were privileged enough to go. I would have loved to for Melinda to have had a chance to go too. What hurt her and Robbie? My gosh, they would probably still be there if we I sent them to E3. Please let us know your thoughts. Popculture at yahoo.com. But my friend, before we head on out, it's something I'm going to touch on with TJ Johnson on the other side of the half hour. Wanted to ask your thoughts on this before we head on out. And that is The Day Before. It is, I'm sure you've heard of it. It is a PC game that was one time for a long time the most wish listed game on Steam. Came out a few years ago with with some trailers, uh, uh, you know, as far as extending and showcasing itself uh, had a gameplay similar to the last of us combined with the division that really entranced people as far as what it could do the problem is though the trailers themselves never really materialized with a game and after constant delays uh, accusations that there was some borrowed or lifted materials from the unreal uh, marketplace where they just copied and pasted uh, that were accusations that were made, accusations of extended use of volunteers, unpaid volunteers to help mm-hmm. create this game. The game came out almost in a rushed fashion by by its uh, developer and publisher, and developers, Fantastic. And it came out to scathing reviews, including a one on IGN, Oof. And because of that, uh, the what the player base that was buying in at forty dollars on the first day dropped by ninety percent by the second day, and the company within a matter of three or four days, I think it was four days in, announced a closure of the studio and a closure of the game itself. They're now offering refunds to people, people because they're just everybody's been calling it a scam, a scam, a scam. To me, it's just something like where you promised so much and then you delivered so little because the visuals, the gameplay experience, everything that you saw in the trailers or were told about by the company was going to happen. Unfortunately, by the time the early access ability came out, which they had to rush out there because they had no more money left, unfortunately didn't materialize.
2: Yeah, that's rough. That's like a Kickstarter that made a whole bunch of money and then isn't able to follow through. Uh, You know, that's that it's that would be that same level of real disappointment and and frustration. And I'm going to pretend and put my rose colored glasses on and just say that I don't think that any developer or anybody behind any kind of game like that would ever want to get themselves into that kind of a situation. But if those allegations about using volunteers to to help get the the game made and not paying their people and stealing or or, sorry, lifting content from other places and, and applying it directly to your stuff. I mean, that's all pretty shady to start with. And then, yeah, no, that's that's rough. And that's incredibly disappointing. And
1: eesh. it's, I mean, it sets yeah. a terrible precedent. I mean, there have been other games that have gone to Steam, that platform, and other platforms that have been totally unprepared for it. And we've seen, you know, games in development and the studio just tries to put so much money. They don't know where they get the rest of their money for as far as the game coming out. And we've seen, you know, games like that fall we've seen something close to this before but never to this level where it's a game that was anticipated and wanted and desired by so many people because those vertical slices which you can create if you're a studio to make it look really good because it's just a small sample of Mm -hmm. the game so you can make it and tighten it up and really really make it look good Unfortunately, you made it look so good, you couldn't deliver on the bigger promise that was the day before.
2: Yeah, it it almost feels like somebody focusing on the minutia instead of the big picture. And there you
1: go. Yeah, yeah, yikes. But before we head on out, my friend, it is, of course, everything you're doing with Vampires and Vitae and everything that you've got. I know you've also got other projects in the works as well. So catch us up to speed in the world. Of Melinda, what's going on before we head on out?
2: Yeah, I didn't get a chance to talk to you about it last week, um, but I know. <gasps> I know. Me. I know. I don't know what we were thinking. But Alex, who we had on the show, a gentleman who's the head storyteller for Desert of Shadows, the LARP group that Robbie and I have joined, he's actually joined Vampires and Vitae for a three story arc. Alex brings such a nuance to playing a vicious character. He's incredibly talented, and I'm so happy and thrilled that he agreed to be part of our show. We're really fortunate. It's energized the table, which is really good, really great stuff. For Wizards & Wine, uh, we are now in our break for the holidays, and uh, we're getting sent to launch The Shadows of Larkovnia in whatever the first Wednesday is of January. That's when the, the first episode of The Shadows of Larkovnia drop. It's the first homebrewed campaign that I've ever written, and it's going so far. So good. So, hopefully, you'll be joining us uh, for Wizards and Wine in the Shadows of Larkovnia starting in January, um, everywhere you get your podcasts.
1: There you go. Again, Vampires of Vitae, Wabi on the Witchlight, Wizards of Wine. Please go ahead and check out the world of Melinda today, wherever you get your podcasts. I know we're doing a full episode on next week's show, but coming up next for those listening on radio and on the audio podcast scene is TJ Johnson and me talking his final thoughts on the Game Awards as we finally close that chapter for now, and also as well, the problem with the day before. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. What is Planet Cool Stuff? It's your ultimate destination for insightful exploration from the realm of pop culture. Delve into the world of movies, video games, toys, cartoons, and visit with one-of-a-kind creators, discover incredible places and see historical artifacts. Whether it's a toy room tour or exploring the best of pop culture cinema, Planet Cool Stuff has got you covered. Planet Cool Stuff, exclusively on Jinx Esports TV Canada. And we're back with the show. It's Gerald Glassman coming back at you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Truly appreciate you checking out everything that we're doing here. It is, of course, a great friend of ours on the show coming back to share his thoughts on last week's Game Awards, plus... One of the most strange (laughs) mercurial adventures ever for a video game unfortunately has come to a crashing end and we'll explain that with the day before coming up here at the end but first up it is TJ Johnson and TJ great to have you here before I forget anything at all on the Game Awards. We've heard from Melinda, we've heard from Josh, but I also want to hear from you, being the video game connoisseur that you are. What did you <laughs> like most about what went on with last week's the Game Awards, my friend?
0: You know, I uh, I thought, I thought a lot of, I thought every studio kind of had some some nice little moments. That you know, honestly, I, I take that back. I really didn't think Nintendo really did anything to wow me. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge Nintendo guy, so I guess it's kind of expected. Um, I was really surprised at PlayStation deciding to release the God of War Ragnarok DLC for free, uh, coming out tomorrow, uh, you know, whenever you guys watch uh, this podcast. December 12th is when it's releasing, so I was actually shocked about that. Um, I thought Christopher Judge and his little his little dig at Call of Duty was uh, was, I thought it was kind of funny. Um, and I think people are a little too, a little too sensitive. Like you guys knew that game was short. Like, don't, let's not, let's not play like you did no. know. Did he have to do it? No, but eh, eh is it really that serious? Um, I think quietly though, I think Microsoft quietly won that 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 show. Uh, they weren't too braggadocious, but or too braggadocious, but um, they had enough momentum going. And then that the Blade game that's going to be released by the same Arcane Studio. That while they didn't say it was a Xbox exclusive title, it's an Xbox exclusive title. Um, and they, it has every right to be. So I'm excited. I think the thing that excited me the most, if I'm being honest, I this is going to sound really weird, but that Sega, the, the five Sega games that they're announcing, Jet Set Radio, uh, another Crazy Taxi, that, that got me excited. I was actually thinking about the first time I played Crazy Taxi and listening to the Offsprings and so many great memories came back as soon as I've seen that being being done, Shinobi and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm actually really excited for that Sega Five Games thing that they're working on, and I know that there's there's some people that are probably like, okay, whatever. We've gone through that well enough times as far as going back to these old classics. With, come up with some new stuff, but by, by and large, I thought the Game Awards was okay. I think it's a little bit of a <clears throat> excuse me a travesty though, that Spider-Man Two was nominated for seven different categories seven different awards and didn't win anything. I think it was kind of a gimme that Baldur's K3 was going to be game of the year. Uh, It just had too much hype. um, Way too much hype. It's not my personal game of the year, but it had too much hype going behind. It's not winning, so I get it. Um, But Spider-Man 2, I think deservedly so, should be a little upset about some of the things that they didn't win. Um, While it may not have been game of the year for a lot of people, it definitely deserved to win something, and it was nominated. For seven different awards. So I'm 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 actually shocked uh that they didn't get it they didn't get anything but I mean, you know, it's kinda of the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. Um, by and large I think the show was pretty good. I'd probably give it out of a out of a. if we're doing a grading scale, like an A through an F. you know, I'd probably give it a solid B, B plus. I think some of the stuff went a little too long. The music went too long and it kinda of cut the people off. But other than that, I mean, I think Jeff Keeley does a great job putting these shows together and and um, really getting back to what the gamers are looking for, and not a lot of the fluff that the E3s ended up having. And um, obviously now they're kind of defunct. Uh, but to kind of get back to the root of what we what we enjoy. So I enjoy it. I'll be looking forward to it next year, uh, next December as well, to see what's going on. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty good. P plus P plus.
1: There you go. Uh, some pretty good announcements as well. Again, I've talked about it with Melinda. And Josh, uh, I really like the uh, Kojima along with uh, Jordan Peele announcing a project that they're collaborating on called OD, yeah, standing for Overdose. Yeah. Yep, uh, tech yep, demo, yep. tech demo aside, you know you really don't know what you're going to get with it because again, it was just a tech demo that they showed off. So I don't know exactly how good it will look as far as whatever the finished product is concerned. But Marvel's Blade. I think yeah. that since it's being done by an Xbox owned studio, I think ultimately with uh, Insomniac, a PlayStation owned studio, coming out with Wolverine, would be an exclusive. It's like a chess game. It looks like that it hasn't been announced since I don't think to my knowledge, an exclusive well for PlayStation. But I'm assuming it will, since it's going to be done by Insomniac. I'm assuming in kind that of course with marvel's blade by arcane that they have to go ahead and do the same yeah
0: i think that uh while they didn't i said they didn't officially announce it i i I do remember seeing something on twitter i mean x uh, it's so hard for me to remember that twitter is now called x but anyways i did see something on x where it was announced that um one of the i think aaron greenberg or somebody had reported that uh the game is officially for xbox and pc um but no mention of playstation which again i'm i'm not upset about that you know playstation has had their time to do what they do and uh while i know playstation really could use some goodwill and they got some with that god of war ragnarok dlc being free uh they really need a little bit more um considering this whole fiasco with taking paid content off of their servers and not allowing people that actually purchased it to access it anymore which you know for everybody that wasn't paying attention before. This is why you can't go fully digital because you don't own any of the stuff. But I digress. I digress. Um, I think it's expected. It's expected to be platform exclusive. It's expected to be exclusive to Microsoft and PC. And I think it's rightfully so. I, I would be. I'd be shocked if they decided to turn and and say, you know, a PlayStation will let you have it. Nah, nah, we got it. You guys got. You guys got Spider-Man. And obviously, you're gonna have Wolverine. So, you know, it's it's okay. You know, I think we we have to remember with these quote-unquote, console wars, is that they're going to have exclusive titles. We, and when I say we, I'm referring to Microsoft, was frustrated that we didn't get a chance to play the Spider-Man games, but it is what it is, you know. Um, it kind of just came with the territory. If you want to play a Spider-Man game, you got to go get a PlayStation. Likewise, you want to play Blade? You don't have to buy an Xbox, but you better get down with the Xbox ecosystem, which is all Xbox wants to do anyway, so it's all good.
1: Once again, I'm on with TJ Johnson. He is back talking the the world of video games. So before we get to the day before, and that Mm -hmm. mess, because there's no really way to say otherwise, it's just a mess what's going on there. Your final (laughs) thoughts on the Game Awards in regards to, you said it was a B-plus for you, some really good announcements. Uh, I had also said that Hellblade 2 looks sensational. I think it's one of the best in-game Gameplay trailers I have seen in quite some time, and you know I, I've already said this to you before, Melinda and Josh, about how I really don't get that hyped up for game trailers because most of them are supposedly in-game engine cutscenes, and cutscenes don't really work for me as far as getting me oppressed because they're supposed to be they're supposed to be the visually the best and most striking of the presentation you're trying to build, as far as for a game is concerned, what really comes down to is the 90% of time you'll be playing the actual game and what that world looks like. And so far, what I've seen out of Hellblade 2 was really impressive.
0: It, it, it'd be you'd be hard you'd be hard to find somebody that doesn't agree with that that take, uh, Gerald. It's a fantastic looking game. Um, I'm even more excited about the way it's gonna sound. I thought the way that they used the speakers and the way that they used the, the, the voices from different channels and um, how they really gave you that immersion effect, uh, immersion factor uh, was just was masterful, to say the least. And I'm really forward to the way that they're going to incorporate all of that into this next Hellblade uh, game. Um, visually, as you said, it's incredible. And I think we're getting to a point where it's so photorealistic. I mean, even if you look at the last Hellblade, the last Hellblade looked really really good and it kind of blurred the line there were times where they were using actual video footage and they would cut back and they would kind of juxtaposition it with in-game footage or in-game you know in-game rendering and it it got hard to tell the difference after a while i I didn't know if i was watching a movie or or actually being part of, of a cut scene so it, it got it, it already got blurry and now with this next one it's, it's like it's going to be even harder to tell so I'm looking forward to it. As you mentioned, there were a lot of really great <clears> – <throat> excuse me. As you mentioned, there were a lot of really great um, announcements. I think for me, I, I'm, I'm kind of not a big announcement guy, very, very similar to you. Um, unless you're coming out within like a, a, a year or a few months, like I, I I just – I can't – Keep getting myself hyped over these announcements and keep Like GTA hyped 6
1: over. that's not coming out for yeah, another like, year and like, a half
0: or so. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, I'll be 40, I'll be 41, 42 when that game comes out. Like, I'm supposed to be excited for two years on this game? Like, it's just, it's, it's so far out. Like, I know that the leaks happen with GTA 6 since we're speaking on GTA 6. I know the leaks happened, you know, a year ago almost with GTA 6 and and so much pop-up they kind of really had no choice but to really finally acknowledge the elephant in the room. But it's so far away. I just have a hard time maintaining my hype for something that far um, in the future. It, it just, I, just, I, I can't do it.
1: Well, my friend, I got great thoughts there on the Game Awards. Looking forward to seeing these games when eventually many of them come out probably down the road some of them were announced for this coming upcoming year so definitely excited to see what comes out of all these announcements of the game wars if you're in the las vegas and henderson areas and are looking to buy sell or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles there's no better place to go than retro city games from xbox to playstation nintendo to atari But when you go ahead and you have these presentations, my friend, and you have these announcement trailers, one thing people have to keep in mind is that not always do they come out like you first see them. Even though, as I've always said, first impressions are quite a big deal. And the day before was a game. It's going to originally it was going to come out for PC, only, you know, and console, but then they decided just to go, I believe, to PC. Although. Again, at some point in time, you never know. It could have come to console. And fortunately, it was introduced as something that was going to be an open world survival game. Unlike much of what we've seen out there. It was going to have some things that probably reminded you of, let's say, The Last of Us or The Division but have elements a little bit mixed into that. But to be in its own world where you're fighting against either zombies, the undead, or against other individuals for survival, it had a certain panache that I think a lot of people were actually looking forward to. And in fact, uh, several times during its development process, it actually reached the top of the most wished and most wanted game upcoming for the Steam platform. So if that's the case my friend what i saw unfortunately befall this game and its developer Fantastic games are fantastic i mean they take the a or the u out of it so it really doesn't matter how you pronounce it unfortunately for this developer several delays funding issues and ultimately uh, an early and very quick Release as far as the early access concern, unfortunately, has led to the downfall of this game. And in a matter of days, this game went from most one of the eagerly anticipated games of the PC era in the last three four years to a game that was delayed and delayed and delayed until finally the company had no much more money behind the scenes. What they're reporting and what they're saying that they had to put the game out in its current condition. And unfortunately, its current condition was so bad, 90% of the original users on the first day decided they wanted no more of it. Hundreds of people wanted refunds, and ultimately that has led to, within a matter of days, the closure of the studio itself and also the ending of this game pretty much in the not-too-distant future because of the fact that this game has done so poorly it is now being reviewed by many outlets just almost posthumously at this point in time. IGN reviewed it over the weekend and absolutely gave it a horrible review, giving it a 1, the one of the very few games they've ever given a 1 to. So your thoughts right. on the disaster, this is not how you develop and make a, a game or a video game in that period of any type, whether it's PC or consoles. But this is a studio that this wasn't their first try either. This is several games into their development, but it just shows you how one game can befall an entire studio.
0: It does. It it really shows you that. And it also should show you just how difficult game design and game making really is. I mean, you have some people that make it look so easy. You look at Insomniac, you look at Naughty Dog, you look at, uh, so many different developers, square Enix, that just make it look effortless and they they just put things together and it just it, it just it it works. And I, I, I say that to say it's really not simple. It's not easy to come up with something niche. It's not something easy to come up with something that hasn't been done before. I mean as you mentioned this was pretty much gonna be a, a mix between the division and the last of us put together. Um so you've already got two genres <clears throat> that you've already got extensive extensive catalogs in not you as a developer, but there's just an extensive catalog of games based off of these different type of genres, and you're trying to do something that's unique. Um, It's not easy to do. And then I'm very much a believer in under-promising over-delivering. And what I mean by that is I'm going to audibly, not all the time, but I'm going to audibly kind of sell myself a little short. And the reason that is because you need to have that wiggle room to be able to to, to try to get as much as you can done and when you oversell and under deliver you can't bounce back from that there's there's as you mentioned your, your first impression is everything so if i over promise and under deliver that's what that's who i'm going to be but if i under promise and over deliver and i'm looking at people like cd project red when they did the witcher games right this is before cyberpunk um and even since cyberpunk with the release of the liberty with the liberty uh oh my goodness i keep trying i always draw a blank on that one but when the, the the cyberpunk and their updates, I'm going to leave it at that. Their updates that they've done have completely turned that game around, but they over promised under delivered at first. Granted, they've made they've right the ship, Phantom Liberty, that's the name of it. They've right the ship, but it took some time. So it's very very it, it goes to show just how difficult it is and truly how you have to really look at your business model and make sure that it's something that you can deliver on. And then you really have to be open and honest with where you are in the process. A bad game that's released is going to be a bad game. If it's continuously delayed, it has the potential to be a good game. But once it's released as a bad game, it's very, very difficult to change that uh, opinion on that game. And, again, I'm looking at Cyberpunk and I'm looking at No Man's Sky as a few exceptions that have been released as bad games and turned around to have been considered better games of the generation Uh cyberpunk was released badly, but I mean, it's still actually, a lot of people still liked it. Uh, so it, it, it kind of had its own had its own journey. But my point in saying that is to say, it's just, it's not easy. It's not easy. So once you start to deliver, or once you start to make these promises on this, this epic new gameplay and this, these new mechanics that ultimately fall completely flat and they knew, as you mentioned, that they they knew that this wasn't gonna work. They knew that they were hemorrhaging money. They didn't have enough to finish this game. They didn't have enough to to keep the promise alive and keep the dream alive. So they had to release it, trying to make back some of the money that they had already spent on it. And it it, it just ultimately it was a it was a miserable it was a miserable uh, exercise in futility. They knew it wasn't gonna work, and they kind of just said they had to kind of they had to pull the ripcord at some point. So. You really hate to see it because you want – I wanted to believe in this title. Um, I remember watching the trailers for it and watching some of the hype for it, and this is exactly why. I don't always buy into that stuff because I, I I, was intrigued. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't. <clears throat> I was intrigued in this title. Uh, I wanted to see if it actually performed well and if it would con- be considered to uh, come out to console. I know there was talks about it at one point, and they focused on just the – release, which is fine, it's, 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 it's okay. Um, but I know I was, ex- I was expecting there to be a concert release on this at some point, and to see where it happened now, and to see that this company just almost shuttered. And I think the, I think it's pronounced Fantastic, like freaking-tastic, but effing-tastic, I don't know. But to see that this already, it's already shuttered the doors. I mean, they just opened the doors in 2015. Then they released the Wild Eight. Uh, in 2017, released another game a year later in the, uh, A Dead Dozen. Uh, uh, that same year, released Radiant One. They released Prop Night, and then they released 2023 the day before. I mean, they released quite a bit of games in a short amount of time. And you kind of thought that they had some, I don't want to say momentum, but I thought they had enough to where they, they kind of got their, uh, a bit of a groove or a rhythm, so to speak. But I, I truly do believe they just over-promised and way under-delivered and knew that they were under-delivering, so they tried, to, they tried to ride it out as best as they could, and they tried to put as much into it as they could, as much money, and ultimately they just had to say, enough is enough, it, it is what it is, and it's just, it's not easy, game developing is not easy. Uh, I've seen many, many companies, many people talk about the difficulties that come with trying to develop these games and trying to develop new experiences for people, and it's just... It's not easy. It's not easy at all. So this just goes to show you that it it takes a lot, and it takes a certain amount of marketing, a certain amount of magic behind the scenes, a certain amount of this, a certain amount of that, the right timing, the right place, the right niche. There's a lot that goes into it that if you don't have it, it shows.
1: Once again, it is my good friend, Mr. TJ Johnson. He is here talking about... The day before, Uh, one of the biggest video game failures ever in this industry. What are the lessons that need to be learned by these developers before this happens again? Because rest assured, my friend, this will happen again.
0: (laughs) Wow. Okay. I think lesson number one, um, as I spoke to, under-promise, over-deliver. I think you really need to... Know what your strengths are and play to those strengths. Um, you know, we didn't expect Gears of War to be this very deep, heartfelt, uh, emotionally driven, story based game. You know, Gears of War kind of where it's it's, it's hard on the sleeve and was very much action, uh, gun, shootout, and it had some great story elements too, don't get me wrong, but we weren't expecting. Uh, the Christopher Nolan of uh, stories in the, in that game. I say that to say, know what you do well and stick to it. Um, it. It's very tempting to reinvent the wheel. It's very tempting to go out there and try to create something that hasn't been done before, um, that hasn't been achieved. Uh, but you have to be realistic in in who you are. You have to you have to count the cost. You have to be able to say, if I'm going to build a house, I need to know what I'm building my house on, the materials that I'm using to build the house, the cost that it's going to take to build the house. All the stuff that goes into it, you need to take all that into consideration before you decide to build the house. No different when making a game, you need to look at how much the resources are going to be or how much it's going to cost to do this. And, you know, you have to bring in graphic designers. You have to bring in sound designers. You have to bring level designers and storyboard concepts. And there's so much that goes into it. You've got to understand that this is such a bigger thing than just I'm gonna make a video game, you know? And with doing that, <clears throat> especially a game of this magnitude, I should say, with in, in, in doing that, you have to be able to say, okay, I can't do this, or this is not gonna work. And you have to make sure that you just be open and honest and, and, and not overestimate your abilities. Um, so I guess that's, that's, that's the biggest thing from this. Uh, number two is just be honest with, with where you are in the process. Um, be honest with your backers as far as who's, who's putting money in, into this game. Be honest with the consumer on who's the one who's ultimately looking to play this game. I mean, I, I think the one thing that I can appreciate is transparency. I think all consumers can appreciate a little transparency and knowing where you are in the process and being honest with where you are in the process. Are we going to be frustrated? Yep. Are we going to be annoyed that the game is not released yet? Absolutely. Are we going to be, this is that and the third, all of the above. Yes, we're going to be frustrated, annoyed, um, irritated, whatever you want to call it. But ultimately, it has the chance to be a great game in the long run. Even if that means we have to be annoyed in the, in, in the interim. Um, we don't want it to go cyberpunk, but those type of things happen. So you've got to be honest about where you are in the process. you got to be honest about your abilities. And You know, you've got to also be honest about where we are going as far as the gaming community, what we're looking for, with the experience that we're looking for, and if that's something that what you're working on can truly deliver or not. Um, I I look back at Rocksteady and what they've done with, um, you know, the, uh, the Justice League game that they're working on, Kill the Justice League and how they initially had some live service aspects. From what I understand, obviously, I, I don't think this was substantiated. Or I don't see any reports that said they officially did have live service in there. But it sounds like they had a lot of live service in that game, very similar or very akin to uh, Gotham Knights that was released uh, this year to very little to no fanfare whatsoever. Um, and understanding that they took all that live service stuff out and revamped the game so that it's, it's much more in line with what we expect from with Rocksteady, and now it looks to be one of the better games that are going to be releasing from them. Um, one of the better games they're going to be releasing. It went from something that nobody really had any interest to to kind of getting up there on our radar. So you have to realize what the consumer is looking for and be willing to um, be willing to kind of adapt and mold to that and uh, see where the chips may fall. So. There's a lot to be taken from this, and I think that there's going to be a very interesting documentary at some point, maybe not in the near future, but in the future in regards to this game and this this, uh, game studio and what did and did not happen behind the scenes. So I'm very curious to see that at
1: some point. Once again, it's my good friend, Mr. TJ Johnson. Please check him out. Here on the show, whenever you get a chance, he provides deep insight mm-hmm. on pop culture like no one else. So truly appreciate him stopping by. It's getting closer and closer to that time of the year when we talk about our best of for 2023, uh, my friend. Uh,
0: uh, yes it is. And
1: also the worst of 2023 i cannot forget uh, that as well and that's almost as much of an enjoyable conversation to have as the uh, best of i'll say that i say that to josh and melinda every year so things Mm. that you might need to check out you wouldn't you might have a hunch about that you might need to check out before the end of the year
0: i think uh some of the best things that have come out this year and obviously we'll we'll go into more detail when the time is right but i'm looking at a you know, I really enjoyed the Phantom Liberty DLC for Cyberpunk. Phantom Liberty was incredible. The expansion was incredible. The addition of Dogtown uh, to Night City was incredible. Uh, Idris Elba was incredible. Uh, the gameplay being refined and re- redone was just immaculate. Uh, it made every encounter feel so much different. Um, even the updates that they just released, the, the 2.1 update that they just released, added a whole lot of content that we didn't know we needed or we didn't know we wanted until we got it. And they didn't tell us that they were doing it. That was a surprise. So I think some of the best things I've seen is is, is the return to form of CD Projekt Red. I was really rooting for them. I was really rooting for it. And I'm very uh, excited to see that they, they they pulled it out, they pulled through, and that they came out on the other end better for it. Um, I think they learned a lot. Uh, and I think that they know what they're going to be doing now, moving forward with, for The Witcher Four and the Cyberpunk series moving forward, as far as under promising and over delivering. That was huge on my huge on my list this year. I've got a couple others. I have to now that you put me on the spot. I hate when you do that to me, but you did it to me anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. Put me on the spot. I'll be more prepared next time. That I know you're oh, no looking worries. for that.
1: But it is T.J. Johnson. Go ahead and check him out anytime he stops by right here in the pop culture. Raspberry